Neurological and cognitive disorders, as well as mental illness, have long been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and feared. Throughout the years, the American Psychiatric Association has discovered and sometimes removed clinical diagnoses that end up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Each week, my co-host and I will bring you a new disorder and provide you with all the information you need to better understand how the human brain works. This is Psyche Saturday. Welcome to a new episode of Psyche Saturday. Last week, we finished up the Cluster B personality disorders, and we asked our listeners which cluster we should do next, A or C. What do you think they chose? L. Definitely. Correct. They chose A. (sighs) So Cluster A personality disorders are characterized as odd or eccentric personalities, including that of schizoid personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, and the personality disorder that we are covering today, paranoid personality disorder. According to the DSM-5, paranoid personality disorder, or PPD, is characterized as a pervasive distrust and suspicion of others such that their motives are interpreted as malevolent. And in order to be diagnosed with PPD, one must meet four or more of the following criteria. One suspects without sufficient basis that others are exploiting, harming, or deceiving them. Two, is preoccupied with unjustified doubts about the loyalty or trustworthiness of friends or associates. Three, is reluctant to confide in others because of unwarranted fear that the information will be used maliciously against them. Four, reads hidden meanings behind benevolent remarks or events. Five, persistently bears grudges. Six, perceives attacks on their character or reputation that are not apparent to others and quickly reacts angrily or counterattacks. Or seven, has recurrent suspicions without justification regarding fidelity of their spouse or sexual partner. And these must not occur exclusively during the course of schizophrenia or other disorders with psychotic features. Now, what I find interesting about this is there are only seven criteria and only four must be met, which is much less than what we had seen in cluster B disorders. But it must be noted that all personality disorders require a pervasive pattern of these criteria. And you may be wondering, how is PPD different from that of paranoia seen in something like schizophrenia or a different disorder with psychotic features. A clinician can easily distinguish between PPD and another disorder because the other disorders show signs of delusions or hallucinations, while PPD does not. Childhood trauma across most research I found tends to be the most consistent risk factor associated with paranoid personality disorder. A longitudinal study by Johnson et al. in 2000, found that all types of neglect in childhood, including emotional, physical, and supervision neglect, predicted PPD in adolescence and early adulthood. A 2013 study by Gollier et al. found that elevated physical abuse in childhood and adolescence led to a higher prevalence of PPD in adolescence. However, they found that sexual abuse 
did not. So what is the prevalence of PPD in the general population? Do you want to venture a guess for this one? So based on the numbers that we've been getting so far, which I generally feel are kind of low, I mean, honestly, I want to say, and this is going to be way too high, I want to say like 15 to 20%. That's going to be way too high. So I am going to actually guess 4 to 8%. So according to the National Comorbidity Survey Replication, it is approximately 2.3%. But the National Epi Epidemiologic Survey of Alcohol and Related Conditions estimates it to be about 4.4%, making it actually the second most prevalent according to their study. Interesting. So you Interesting. are correct in thinking that it is more prevalent than other right. personality disorders. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's an easier one to live with. Not that it's easy to live with, but I feel like it's an easier diagnosis. Yes, I agree. I think that it is the signs of it show more, I yeah. would say, than right. the other personality disorders that we've covered. And with the major risk factor coming into play of childhood trauma, I mean, so many people come from a background of trauma, unfortunately. So I think that with that playing in, it's no wonder that this is a more prevalent diagnosis than than some of the other uh, personality disorders that we've that we've yeah. discussed. Do you think it's higher in men or women? Women. Women. Okay. So epidemiological research finds it's higher in women. However, clinical samples find it's higher in men. Yeah, because I think that women showing the symptoms are more likely to accept them and simply live with them. Whereas men who show those symptoms are more likely to receive uh, clinical care. Yeah. But does this mean there is a higher prevalence among those with a tendency toward violent criminal activity. So, I mean, I could see it going either way. If you're paranoid, you're maybe likely to lash out, but I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess that this does not increase the prevalence of violent behavior. Okay. Because these people are probably more likely to recede from acting against others. Bautier and Mahé. Now, this is a French study. I don't know if I pronounced their names correctly at all. So apologies if I didn't. Uh, but they performed a 2019 study examining a sample of 106 patients of a large hospital in Paris. These patients were split into two groups. One group consisted of 79 individuals diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder. And the other group consisted of the remaining 27 individuals who had been diagnosed with paranoid delusional disorder, better known as psychosis or delusions. Of the group diagnosed with PPD, it was found that 35% had committed a type of sexual offense, including 28 rapes. And 38% had committed either murder or attempted murder. So I was wrong. <laughs> but you were right in thinking originally that they're more likely to lash out. Right. Yeah. Furthermore, Dr. Paul G. Nestor's 2002 literature review established that many studies have found that cluster A and cluster B personality disorders correlated significantly to violence, including paranoid and narcissistic personality disorders. One study that Dr. Nestor used was from a research article published in 2000. Johnson et al. interviewed 717 adolescents and their mothers between 1983 and 1993 in upstate New York. Of the 717 subjects, 103 were diagnosed with one or more personality disorders. And among those 103 violent acts were committed by 38%. The prevalence of violent acts during adolescence and early adulthood ranged from about 12% breaking and entering 
to approximately 46% with threats or starting fights. And of those who committed violent acts who were diagnosed with a cluster A personality disorder, paranoid personality disorder showed the highest prevalence. However, of those with PPD, the highest prevalence of violence was that of arson or vandalism at 38.1%, with threats to injure others being a close second at 31%. I mean, I guess I, I, I get the threats. That makes sense. I'm just surprised that they would carry out the violent acts. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not a professional psychiatrist. So to me, I'm just going based on like the definitions of the words in like the English language, you know, but then again, I guess, I guess, you know what? I'm oversimplifying from paranoia to fear where paranoia doesn't necessarily mean you're afraid of the thing. Paranoia really implies that you're convinced that there are threats where there probably are not. It doesn't necessarily imply that you're paralyzed with fear by those threats. Some people will react violently towards threats. So you know what? Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I was just doing a dumb. No, you're right. The paranoia doesn't exactly, it doesn't right. necessarily It doesn't necessarily mean... imply fear. Yeah. Exactly. It just means you're maybe thinking someone's after you and you got to do something about it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we have to remember that this is different than having a delusion. Right. You know, this is different than than going through actual psychosis where you're hallucinating or something or you're believing this person is really coming at you right now with a knife and you have to stab them. That's a break from reality. That's... That's something completely different than it's the difference between, you know, imagining or not imagining in, in psychosis. It's, it's real. Somebody is actually living it. But it's the difference between, you know, having the delusion that somebody is coming after you with a knife versus in paranoid personality disorder, just thinking the person across the street is going to come after you with a knife. It's, it's the, it's the difference between actually seeing it happen versus or assumption. Correct. Versus just thinking it's going to happen. Exactly. Yes. Perception versus assumption. That's, that's a perfect way to put it. Um, so when somebody has a break from reality, it means that their reality is true to them. When somebody has paranoid personality disorder or has any sort of personality disorder, they're still living in the same world that we all are. It's just they're thinking that things are going to happen, that someone might be following them or or something like that. And they almost have to get ahead of what they think is going to be the, the act. So again, being that this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month... Let's discuss if there is a correlation between PPD and IPD. I could not really find any significant research regarding perpetrators of IPD having been diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder. However, what I was able to find was a study done by Coolidge and Anderson from 2002 of personality profiles of women in multiple abusive relationships. Coolidge and Anderson used a sample of 42 women who had a history of being a victim in multiple abusive relationships, along with 33 women who were abused in only one abusive relationship, as well as a control group of 52 women. From this, they found that of all the personality disorders, Women who reported having had been in multiple abusive relationships showed greater clinical elevations in regards to self-defeating, dependent, and paranoid personality disorders. The dependent personality disorder did not surprise me. Because people who suffer from that, and we'll get into that when we do cluster C, but people who suffer from dependent personality disorder are those people that like literally can't be on their own. They have to be attached to somebody all the time. So it doesn't surprise me that people have gotten themselves into situations that they can't really get out of because of having a disorder like that. 
self-defeating also because it's kind of, you know, you're beating yourself up, you have low self-esteem kind of thing. But I was a little surprised to see that victims of multiple abusive relationships, so somebody who gets into one after the other, has a higher prevalence of paranoid personality disorder. Especially considering with paranoid personality disorder, one of the criteria, and this doesn't mean that everybody who has PPD has this, but one of the criteria is the constant thought that your spouse or significant other is is cheating on you. So, I mean, I don't know if it's like this vicious cycle of, you know, the, the, the manipulation from the abuser to the constant worry of the victim. Like, it's it, they, like, feed off of each other almost. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the, you know, they... The old saying goes, you hurt the one you love because that is the most convenient person to hurt. So, you know, you're in this situation where you think, when you're paranoid, where you think that your partner is whatever because it's the easiest person to think of, period, whether it's a positive thought or a negative thought. Um, And when you're feeling good, you feel like, oh, I love that person. I miss that person. I want to be around that person. I'm Because I'm happy about stuff, I'm going to think positive things about that person. She looked great today. I'm so grateful she did that thing today, whatever it may be. When you're generally feeling negative feelings, when you're sad or angry or whatever, that person is going to be the first person to whom you assign negative assumptions like you did the whatever thing which was cool but you didn't do this other thing so that's what i'm gonna think about because i'm sad today and for whatever reason and it seems like a pretty huge design flaw the human brain the human uh psyche tends to really roll downhill or uphill you know you tend to we tend to really hold on to a trend of emotions rather than break out of them one way or the other you know if things are good we'll we're more likely you know you win you get a bunch of money you get a big bonus at work you win the lotto or whatever you go and you make irrationally positive decisions you go and blow your money taking all your friends out to the bar and then you buy everybody at the bar a shot and the next thing you know your whole bonus is gone now you're back to square one and you've got a hangover um and vice versa you know you didn't get the raise you thought you were going to raise or you were going to get or you got a pay cut and so now when you go home and you have to mow the lawn you're like that lawn you know i don't want to do that crap and and if that if your partner happens to remind you now you're like oh that person is always on my case about such a stupid little thing why is that person such an asshole and it's like no they're not they're, they may have a reasonable point but you're more likely to go to that negative place it's just something that we all do and i don't know like biologically speaking evolutionarily speaking if what the driver would be for that. You would tend to think that the most stable individuals would be the most survivable ones. And so we would end up in a place where we're very stable. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I think we're just as just as wacky as, as we were 5,000, 10,000 years ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know anybody 10,000 years old, but I'm going to bet. Because otherwise we would have all just drowned in rivers and jumped off a cliff and gotten eaten by saber-toothed tigers. But enough of us survived that there's now like 8 billion. So this is usually the part where I talk about, you know, like famous murderers who have the personality disorder. But I couldn't really find a lot. Um, I did find some, but I didn't want to add them in because for the most part what I found were competing diagnoses. A few of the people had seen multiple psychiatrists who had diagnosed them with multiple different things. So, and it wasn't like one psychiatrist diagnosed them with A, B, C, and D. It was 
psychiatrist A diagnosed them with one. And then psychiatrist B said, no, 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 they have two. So I didn't really want to put it in because there's not any clear research that went into what these these perpetrators had. For the most part, which I found really interesting, was um, from the few that I looked into were actually um, like mafia or like hired guns. Yeah, that makes sense. I thought that was so interesting. Um, I am going to throw one name out there. Um, Richard Kuklinski. So he was known as the Iceman. He, watching his, watching his interview. So I actually had to watch his interview in my abnormal psych class. And we watched clips of it because my professor wanted us to see his lack of reaction when he was talking about his crimes. So Kuklinski was a hitman. Um, I believe he was from Jersey. And he was called the Iceman because he, when he would kill his victims, he would actually put them in like um, an ice truck, like a like a ice cream truck kind of thing, a cold a cooler truck. What are those called? A freezer truck? Uh, the refrigerated truck. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> a box truck with the refrigerated box. <laughs> um, so uh, he was called the Iceman for for that reason. Um. The way that he spoke about his murders is terrifying. So I would never have placed paranoid personality disorder on him. But they did say that before the interview, um, a psychiatrist had met with him quite a few times and ended up diagnosing him with PPD as well as some other um, some other things. Did you look him up? No, it's oh. called a refrigerated truck. It is a refrigerated truck. Okay. <laughs> um, another one that I found uh, was another, I think this was also like the mafioso. Um, he was diagnosed with PPD, but then he, from by one psychiatrist, but then another psychiatrist diagnosed him with um, psychotic disorder. And I didn't want to talk, I didn't really want to talk about him because those are two completely different diagnoses. And I didn't want our listeners to confuse the two. Um, And he may very well have had psychotic disorder, not PPD. Or he may have had PPD and not psychotic disorder because again, they're, they're, they're different. There are different criteria for them. Um, and we will go into what psychotic disorder or psychosis actually is, but it just, it, it, it intrigued me to see that a lot of them were hitmen. And that, you know, you had just mentioned when I, when I said that, that it doesn't really surprise you. And can you elaborate on that? Like we said, when we, when we delved into the difference between paranoia versus fear, it makes more sense now that I think about it, where paranoia is just the assumption that you're surrounded by threats. It actually does make sense that these people tend to be violent because they see threats where threats don't necessarily exist. And I suppose technically you could split it right down the middle and say, well, half the people who are paranoid are not going to engage those threats because they are afraid of them. But then again, that leaves a full 50% of all people who are paranoid who will engage those threats. And if only half of them engage those threats actively, then you're left with 25% of 4% of the population. So a full percent of the population, which is 70 million people, who actively engage threats all the time that aren't even there. So yeah, it would make perfect sense that these kinds of people would would seek employment in... Uh, would seek employment where they can constantly engage threats. You know, these would be the kind of people who might join the military just so that they can go out and shoot people. These might be the kind of people who become police officers just so that they can go out and, and beat people up and cuff them and throw them in jail. These might be the kind of people that join the mafia as hitmen because they know that they're going to get the opportunity to 
to hurt people all the time and they just they constantly feel like they're like somebody's out to get them and they want to hurt people so this is an outlet for them subconsciously they of course don't realize that they're providing themselves with an outlet for their disorder but that's in fact what they're seeking they're see because when you especially because as you pointed out it's not psychosis it's not schizophrenia they're not having hallucinations they feel like they're constantly under threat but they're not perceiving any threats so they've they've got to punch something and if you're gonna say hey i'm gonna give you 500 bucks to go punch the crap out of this guy great now i get to now i get to take this this frustration out and i get to make a bunch of money yeah i was actually gonna when you just mentioned that i was gonna ask you if you i was gonna ask you if you if you would think that many of these people would go into military service or or something of that sort because you're right the way that you just talked about it they are thinking that there's a threat so they kind of have to get ahead of that threat like i mentioned earlier so for them to be hired to eliminate that threat yeah it makes it makes sense um now you're a gamer so do you think that maybe gaming could help Hell yeah. some people with that? You get to shoot people all right. day, every day. Exactly. And it's, and it's cool. Yeah. It's, it's not illegal. <laughs> Definitely. I think that it serves as a significant outlet yeah. uh, for all kinds of tendencies. For if, if someone's got ADD, if someone's got... Uh, frustrations if someone's got maybe not directly paranoid personality disorder but sure you know they can a it provides them with something to focus on but also yeah like you said b if you play like a first person shooter um yeah definitely i think it i think it for sure would allow an outlet for this kinds of behavior you're probably not going to want to play like a horror game because that might just drive you over the edge Mm. Mm -hmm. you know but uh, yeah, something like something like some basic arena shooter like Call of Duty. Yeah, you can just jump in there and just start clicking on heads. Yeah. In all the research that I could find, like with the other personality disorders that we covered, there really is no true treatment for this. And we have mentioned this before with other personality disorders as well. There's really nothing that can be done to to really eliminate the the thought process that that a lot of these people have they have seen semi success and i and i i don't even want to say semi i mean it's very minor with um cognitive behavioral cognitive behavioral therapy that's really it a lot of it is due to especially with ppd the mistrust that people who have this personality disorder see in people so they're not going to go to a therapist and think, oh, I trust this person enough to start talking to them and get a treatment plan and tell them all of my thoughts and feelings because they don't trust people, period. So it's not even that they wear like with narcissistic personality disorder where they don't think anything's even wrong with them. These are the types of people that they may know, but they don't trust the world. They don't trust anyone around them to even think that somebody could help them. They think everybody is out to get them. So it's very difficult to to treat a person who has paranoia, especially with a personality disorder. So I, that's why I asked if you thought that maybe gaming could be a good alternative to people who, who don't necessarily want to go seek treatment. Yeah. And I think if you break it down into those two categories, like I did, of the people that transform the paranoia into fear versus the people who transform the paranoia into aggression like i said for the people who transform into aggression you play some kind of shooter some kind of fast-paced basic shooter um the people who transform it into fear maybe should play like a more constructive game like a like a vr game where you build things you know or a vr like puzzle game so that you can become immersed in something which can distract you but which can show you an outlet that's constructive. And then maybe these people can carry this into the real world, into some kind of productive activity. Right. You know, 
with CBT, I, I think CBT is such a fantastic thing. We actually just did a module on it in one of my epidemiology classes um, for suicidal behaviors. Um, CBT is one of those things that like anybody can do. Cognitive behavioral therapy is basically just changing your thought process and understanding why you think the way you do and why you do the things that you do because of the way that you think. So I like that you mentioned the constructive games because for some people, they have to start understanding why their thought process is the way it is. So if they can get themselves into something like that, maybe then they can start venturing out, like you said, into the real world with it and doing like trust exercises with other people, team building exercises, things like that. You know, like workplaces do those things all the time um, or they'll go to like some adventure park and they'll have to like build something together or or they have to like cross the river together and, you know, they have to put that trust in each other. So I actually really like that idea of first getting comfortable with your own thoughts and building something with within your own mind and getting yourself into that world and then taking that out into the real world and, and changing your thought process about about the world. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of us do believe that there are bad people in this world. And there certainly are. But the majority of us don't necessarily believe that they're that they're always out to get us. But then it also kind of makes me think of PTSD, which is also something that comes from a traumatic experience, obviously, why it's called post-traumatic stress disorder. So it kind of makes me think that they go hand in hand. And a lot of treatments for PTSD are CBT and things of that nature where you're changing your thought process. And what they've now been doing for PTSD um, is, is VR, is actually doing virtual reality and putting these people into the settings where they were when they were traumatized and kind of trying to retrain their cognition to realize it's no longer an actual threat. Because that's what PTSD does. It, it From your original trauma, when you carry that into later life, there are triggers that are going to make you think that there's a threat there based on whatever that trauma was at that original point. So to have them go through something like changing their cognition, retraining their psyche to think, okay, this is no longer an actual threat. I don't need to perceive it that way any longer. It gets them out of those, those triggered states. So that's a really, really good point to possibly have for paranoid personality disorder treatment. And there isn't a lot of research on it in general. I mean, it was a real, I had a really tough time finding articles for this, uh, studies for this. Uh, but I did find one that, that mentioned, you know, maybe not even having PPD in the DSM anymore because there is so little understanding of it and so little like that's a mistake. research of it. Exactly. I think we discussed this in another episode too. Because you should only eliminate a disorder if you can roll it into something else. Correct. So if you're saying, well, here's this other listed disorder that is PPD, so we're going to take the redundant diagnosis out, then okay. But I mean, if people are suffering from a thing and you don't understand it, you don't pretend that it's not there. Correct. That seems like a silly thing to do. Again, hashtag not a psychiatrist. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think anything should be taken out of the DSM until there is enough research behind it to understand that it is either not an actual psychiatric disorder or right. It can be rolled right into something else, that it that it meets the criteria of something else. And with not having enough research behind PPD, I think that's the last thing we should do is take it out of the DSM. I think we should just be doing more research. Yeah, definitely. I mean... You literally cannot have too much research. No. 
And of course, as I say in every Psyche Saturday, this would not be a Psyche Saturday without having the neuroscience portion. So as mentioned earlier, a major risk factor to developing PPD is childhood neglect and trauma. However, studies have also found that brain trauma could also be a risk factor. Hibbard et al.'s 1998 and Kopanen et al.'s 2002 studies found that between 8.3 and 26% of brain injury patients meet PPD criteria. PPD was the second most common personality disorder following traumatic brain injury. Furthermore, a 2007 study by Liu et al. found that during brain sensory processing, as measured by EEG event-related potentials to auditory stimuli, PPD was found to have a faster latency of the N100 event-related potential, suggesting hypervigilance. Also, a 2006 study by Lee et al., found that when examining cerebrospinal fluid levels of stress neuropeptide corticotropin-releasing hormone, which is CRH, that the CRH levels were seen to be elevated in those with PPD. And CRH is known for its role in stress response and anxiety. However, an experiment performed on monkeys in 2002 by Strom et al. found that monkeys with direct brain injection of CRH caused radically altered emotional expression and social behavior. The monkeys who were administered the CRH became, quote, wall-facing when they were normally very social. They showed behaviors of being withdrawn and non-interactive. And this all comes from a 2017 literature review by Dr. Royce Lee of University of Chicago Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neuroscience. Yeah, FCRH. FCRH. Yeah, we don't need that crap anymore. <laughs> we got no saber-toothed tigers to run from. We don't need that crap. It's all bad. So do you think that evolutionarily we should just get rid of this over oh, time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> We don't need that crap anymore. It dilates your blood vessels. It increases your heart rate. Exactly. It it diverts blood away from stuff that I'd really like to have blood in. It's just <laughs> it's not it's not a good time. But do the do, does this surprise you? These studies? No, no. You stress a monkey out, he's gonna stare at the wall. Yeah, he does. He has. He's gonna withdraw. He's gonna just totally yeah. shut down. Yeah. Which again, trauma. We talk about we talked about this in our trauma episode of Blackbird. When some people go through trauma, they shut down. They completely withdraw from the situation. And it's a way of protecting us from whatever the perceived threat is. So I really the more I researched this, the more I saw such a correlation between PPD and post-traumatic stress disorder or just trauma in general, which is one of the highest risk factors, having trauma in your background. Yeah. And it makes complete sense. It makes complete sense that our bodies are going through, that our bodies and our brains are going through these hyper-vigilant states in one respect but in another respect, it's shutting us down. Again, it depends on how you're even going to be interacting in the situation. Because we all act differently when it comes to trauma and threats and when we are paranoid. Like you said, there are some that are scared and fearful when they're paranoid. And there are some that see a threat and attack. Right. Right. And I mean, that just comes down to... I hate to always reference evolution. I'm sure people are getting tired of me talking about it, but it just comes down to how it comes down to how your genome got where it is over the over the last hundred thousand years. Did your genome get where it is from other members who tended to flee from danger or run towards danger? And understand that's not a good versus a bad thing. Those are those are two valid responses to threats. Um, the difference is that the ideal solution is to 
weigh the two responses against one another and decide which will have the most successful results as far as your own survival. Uh, not to always go to one or the other. There are things that you should not run away from because at the very least it's a waste of your time and it makes you stop doing whatever it was you were doing before that. Um, and there are definitely things that you should not run towards because, you know, they might eat you. So you can't, you know, like I, like I said, it depends on where your genome came from. If, you, if, if, if your genome has spent the last thousand generations saying run, 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 you're probably going to run, which means that if you're a paranoid person, you're probably going to retreat. You're going to stare at the wall rather than freak out and start beating your chest and screaming. Vice versa, if your genome spent the last thousand generations running towards danger, then you're probably going to get eaten. Yeah. And, you know, with that being said, we have split seconds to make a decision in some cases. Oh, yeah. Humans are slow. <laughs> the average human yes. reaction time is 250 milliseconds, and that's just your neurological and musculoskeletal response time. That's not actually for you to do something. Right. That's just how long it takes for you to begin any kind of action. Correct. For your brain to start saying yeah. you to know your body, hey, you got to do something. You know how many things in the natural universe happen in 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 microseconds, right. let alone milliseconds? Right. Humans are slow. So with what you're saying, we, we, we don't have a lot of time to think about the decision. So exactly, evolution has started to tell us what we're going to do in that situation rather than us having to think about it because when we think about it, it's too slow. It, we're, we're dead. That's it. We don't have the time. That's why we have eyelids. <laughs> yes. And we have to think about what society tells us too, especially in gender roles. Women are supposed to retreat. Men are supposed to fight. Right. So when women are faced with a threat, it frustrates me when they maybe don't, they freeze. So they, they have the fight or flight freeze. Then they say they freeze. They didn't fight back. Then they get ridiculed for it. Our society tells us all the time how we're also supposed to react to these situations. So it's now like, evolution and our physiology is fighting with what society is telling us to do. So we're all confused. We don't know what we're supposed to do in a situation. So when a situation, when we're faced with that situation and we do whatever it is our body is just telling us, our body is just doing, we kind of get mad at ourselves because we're like, well, why did I do it that way? Why didn't I do what that other person would have done. Like if a man freezes in a situation, why didn't you fight back? Right. You're not a man if you didn't fight back. Right. Like it, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. If if the, the brain and the body are not doing something, they're not doing, that's it. They're protecting you in whatever way it is. Right. So society tells us one thing. Evolution tells us another thing. We don't know where to and, go and, from there. And logic just gets left in the corner. Oh, logic is all out there. Logic is like, if you sit for a minute and think about it rationally, <laughs> and you've already been eaten, and then and you're logic dead. is like, well, fuck. Exactly. Logic has no place in this. No. So, it does. We just ignore it. <laughs> logic has a place in every single moment of every person's life. But we are too slow. We can't, We're too slow. We can't think logically because we will get killed. Yeah. In that situation, yeah. trying to but, sit there and try. rationalize. But try. But you got to try. Yeah, but, you know. Because if you're going to get eaten, you're going to get eaten. You might as well think about not getting eaten. So that if you don't get eaten, you can not get eaten. Just saying. Along that same point, though, I just kind of want to, like, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts because obviously that's, that's just, that's what I do. Um, that's my life. And I notice when stories entail a woman and it's true crime podcast documentaries like anything that's that's true crime when the stories talk about a woman who fought her attacker fought back in the situation and either unfortunately did not survive or did survive i always hear 
the praise. And don't get me wrong, absolutely 100% that is such a brave person for having done that. But I don't want people to think that if they didn't fight back in that situation, that it means that they're not brave. Because we don't hear praise for the person who froze. We don't hear praise for the person who fled. We don't, we definitely don't hear praise for the person who fawned. Definitely not. So when you perceive a threat, and again, we've talked about this in the trauma episode, but when you perceive a threat, your your brain is just going to do whatever it thinks is the best thing for you in that moment. It doesn't matter how brave you are. It doesn't matter how scared you are. Right. And it's also important to understand that you had no say in what the, in what happens. None. You did not select your genes. You did not build your brain. You got these things and the best that you can do is make the best of it. Correct. And if you are the kind of person that freezes up in the face of danger, that is what it is. The only thing that you can do is just try extra hard to keep yourself out of danger because you know you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Yeah. And if you're the kind of person that rises to the occasion and stays cool as a cucumber, then, then that's great for you. But really, you don't deserve any merit for that because you didn't build your brain to be cool as a cucumber and handle stress well. Like, why do we praise people for like, oh, yeah. That guy, you know, and that's cool. You, you, you know, you jumped into the downed helicopter and you pulled people out. That's fantastic. But like, you didn't earn the ability to do that. Yes, you trained hard to do those things and you swallowed your fear and went in there, but you didn't build your brain. You, you, what your brain does has nothing to do with you. You take zero credit for that. Right. You know, Dan and I had a conversation the other day about astronauts, actually. So I follow one of the female astronauts who did the spacewalk uh, last year, right? It wasn't earlier this year. It wasn't before the pandemic. It was last year. Yes. Yes, because she keeps doing year. It was before. Yeah, she keeps doing throwback Thursday to like a year ago, whatever. So I follow one of the astro- the female astronauts who did the spacewalk last year on the ISS. And she's constantly posting pictures from space, obviously, of like the Earth and you know, all the really cool stuff that they see. And it's terrifying to me. It is super cool to see these pictures, but I, like, I get anxiety looking at them sometimes. And it it terrifies me. And I know that I'm never going to be in space. <laughs> like, there's no reason for Very it. unlikely. It's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. I would be, a, I would be the worst astronaut. Oh my God. My, I would be passing out and throwing up. I would be the worst astronaut. If, if you're in space, something has gone very, very, very yes, wrong. Yes, there, there's no way I would. There's we no reason. Somehow got on a spaceship and <laughs> and somehow decided to leave the planet Earth. So something's gone very wrong if you're in space. Because it's not as an astronaut; it's as a refugee. There is no, there is no reason for me to be in space. No. But I said to Dan, I don't, I don't understand these people. They must be thrill seekers. They must be the kind of people that like want that adrenaline rush and they, you know, this, that and the other thing. And and Dan said to me, no, not really. It's not necessarily an adrenaline rush to them. It's just that they have a different cognition and a different mechanism inside their brains that are just saying that this is an ideal environment to work and and have a career and to me, like, I could never do that. I could never, I could never be a pilot. I could never, like, I can't, I could never, I can't go diving. Like, I can't do things that are, like, not on solid ground. <laughs> so, can you so explain a little bit? So, what I said was um, <laughs> old school astronauts, the guys in the 60s. And, and around that era, those were adrenaline seekers. Those were people that were retired Air Force experimental pirate pilots. These are the kind of they people... They experimental pirates. Pirates, yeah, <laughs> that would be super cool. Maybe they were experimental pirates. <gasps> Maybe. Do they have pirates in space? Well, yeah, it's like the first thing you do when you get to space. You pirate things? Yeah, because there's no laws in space. But, like, what are you taking? Whatever you want. You're a pirate. But there's like not... 
what's up there to take? Other planets? The ISS. They've got rations. <laughs> They've got soup in a bag. How many of our listeners do you think have left? All of them. <laughs> They're gone. There's no one here. I think this is an interesting conversation. Specifically, what I said was those astronauts, and I can say guys because I'm pretty sure they were they were all male. I meant to say people, but yes, oh, I'm pretty sure the they day? were all male. Yes. They were thrill seekers. They were doing it mostly for the adrenaline. These were the kind of people that were pilots and they took all the experimental planes and they crashed the experimental planes and survived it and were like, meh. So they were like, hey, let's go to space. That is fucked up. People don't go to space. Let's do that. Maybe that should explode. People today, astronauts today, I think are more cerebral and less and that's not to say that those people were dumb they were incredibly intelligent people throughout all of human history astronauts have been the absolute epitome of what humans can be Mm -hmm. um and to go back to what i was saying before part of that is just luck part of that is you were just born with the best with all your brain cells in the best possible place (laughs) and all the right genes turned on all the right genes turned off so, again, super cool. Good for you for doing that cool stuff. But let's be honest. These are people who were born lucky. These are people who were born with all the cards in their deck. So, um, astronauts these days, I tend to think, are less thrill-seeking. More so that they're not seeking thrills. They're just seeking any form of challenge. I mean, these are incredibly intelligent people. They're physically fit people. They have great eyesight, great reaction time. These are the kind of people that have always excelled their entire life, and they're just bored of winning. And so they're just like, what can I do that's harder than anything else that I've ever done before? Oh, I know. I'll go to freaking space. And that's what it was that you said. It was a challenge to them. Right. And that was... I like being challenged, too, but I can't imagine that level... I... I, so pretty much every human being enjoys a challenge. Um, some people like to just win. These are the people that cheat at video games. Um, these are the people that will participate in sports against people that are new when they're veterans at it. There are people who just want to win. Um, but almost, but they'll still feel like they earned the win. People want to feel like they earned a win. Almost everybody. Yes, there are some people who are just totally chill and they don't care. But almost every human being fundamentally wants to feel like they earned a win. And again, not to go too far down the evolutionary rabbit hole, but the reason for that is that if you feel like you're constantly overcoming challenges, you're more likely to be a successful member of a species and produce more people who then are driven to success and to overcome. So it's just a natural consequence of survival of the fittest. So um, every person wants to overcome challenges. It's just that for people, different people see challenges in different things. You see challenges in academia. You want to get 100 on everything. And when you get a 90, you are upset about it. I would love to get freaking 90s on stuff. But I also don't see a challenge in academia. It's just, just because it doesn't... I like learning... But I don't really care about getting A's. I, I never have. Um, to me, that's why I'm a gamer. That's where I seek my challenge is in being able to overcome situations and being able to form a plan on the fly and think quickly and execute that plan. That's the challenge that I love to overcome. And that's why I loved paintball. And that's why I loved snowboarding, too. It's the kind of thing that I have to use my physical abilities to overcome a challenge. And the challenge is reading what my muscles are telling me and providing useful feedback in order to make the board and myself go where I want to go. So, yeah, that's the challenge. And and for astronauts, these are people who, they want that challenge and they've just never found something that's really challenged them. And I'm going to attempt to bring this back full circle to where we started this episode (laughs) because we went on quite a tangent there. Yeah, that was a big tangent. But no, it brings up a good point with people who have PPD. 
do you think that maybe part of it is that they part of the 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 violent acts that they potentially are committing do you think that while yes it's it's also part of that that perceived threat do you think it's also because they need that challenge they see that as a challenge yeah it's validation right if they can do a thing that they could say is winning then it justifies the feelings that they had yeah. the paranoia if they if the paranoia if the feelings that they're experiencing with the paranoia never come to anything then they'll have to they're left wondering why but yeah if they can commit any kind of act directly as a response to those feelings of paranoia then absolutely it's validating the feelings and it's the same thing as overcoming a challenge. Mm -hmm. So there it is, guys. Well, at least we tangented at the end. Yeah. They can shut so us that, off. Yeah, yeah. If you if you <laughs> left 10 minutes ago, then you're not hearing me, so I don't know why I bother. But if you left 10 minutes ago, at least you got most of the good episode. And, and if, if you're, you're still st with us... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because that was a, that was a neat little tangent. I liked that. I liked talking about that. And I hope you enjoyed listening to I like. I it. enjoyed that tangent, too. And, and it really, you know... I, I enjoy these tangents because they really think, make me think more about what we're actually discussing, what the what the topic is for our episode. So if we hadn't gone on that tangent, I wouldn't have thought of having the discussion about criminality and, and the challenges that potentially people want to involve themselves in. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, thanks, guys, if you're still listening. And uh, I, we, we do hope that you enjoyed our, our little tangent. And, <laughs> and we hope that you enjoy when we banter a little bit. Because yeah, banter is great. I, I really, I think that it's an important part of what we do. Discourse. Discourse is really, exactly. is really important. You've got to challenge your brain and you've got to send it as many different inputs as you possibly can. Yeah. Or it's just going to build one pathway and that's it. And you're never going to be able to build any other pathways. And again, this is Psyche Saturday. So like we, we need to be using our brains more. Yeah. My job is very boring. <laughs> I need to use my brain. I actually, can I use my brain less? I don't think that's no, possible. No, because you'll fail. I will fail. Or, well, you'll get a B and... I'll cry. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, with that, that's that's Paranoid Personality Disorder. And uh, we we hope that you are satisfied with our beginning of the Cluster A grouping. Um, there are two more that we're going to get into. Cluster C and Cluster L. <laughs> no, I mean two more in Cluster A. <laughs> yeah, Cluster L. Whatever that is. Um, we're actually, so um, one of our Psyche Saturdays is going to be on Halloween. So we have a really special mm -hmm. one planned for you guys. Scary. No, it's going to be like super fun. Um, and tomorrow on our regularly scheduled full length Blackbird, as I mentioned last week, we have some special Irish cases for our Irish listeners. We're no longer charting, by the way. We're off the chart. <laughs> oh. Go on. One freaking tangent. <laughs> I know. Ireland, get us back on, on yeah. the charts, please. <laughs> we were at 93, and then we just dropped, 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 and now we're off. Boo. Yeah. Whatever, bro. Yeah. Get us back on, please. Um, But yeah, so we'll have a... F um, it's not a fun case. None of these cases are fun. No. We will have an Irish case for you uh, tomorrow. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see you then. And until then, you can listen to all of our episodes on any platform where you find our podcast. And you can find all of them on our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blackbird Advocacy. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Blackbird Advocacy. So we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.